Welcome to the second half. I'm your host, Melanie Kenneman, and I'm excited to spend the next hour with you interviewing some of my favorite people in the world. Uh, you know, a lot of people put a lot of weight in the first half of any game, and what they don't realize, it's actually in the second half. The things that you do, the actions you take, the mindset you have that sets you up to win or fail at anything that you do or at any game. In this episode, we feature Brinley Tucker, and this conversation goes so many directions that are so good, and I truly believe you're going to enjoy every minute of this conversation with Brinley Tucker, so enjoy. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about all different kinds of things, but first of all, let me just welcome to the show, Brinley Tucker. Woohoo! Oh, hi, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me. What kind words. I'm just excited to be here with my friends. So how... Tell us the real estate journey, because it sounds like you had some interesting things before that. How did you get into the business and how how did you gravitate so quickly to the operation side? Yeah. And Melanie, I don't, how deep do you want me to go? I'm not sure how much of my personal story you know about. I would love to know as much as you're willing to share. Okay. So, um, so basically my kind of career journey started. Um, I was very fortunate. I graduated from Texas A&M with a um, a major in business and a minor in economics. Nice. Ended up being able to go to Manhattan and spend my 20s in New York City, which was really cool. It was a really cool experience to live my 20s, kind of grow up. I worked on Wall Street as a trading assistant, then in investment banking. Um, So just a lot of, and I always started as an assistant right? That's kind of what in the nineties and the early two thousands, it's what you did. Like you became an assistant and then you learned the industry to then become whatever the next role was. So in investment banking, I was an an assistant in trading. I was an assistant and then ended up um, deciding to move back to Texas and ended up um, in country club membership sales for club Corp. And again, started as an assistant, then became a membership director for them selling country club memberships. And that's when I got into real estate. That was when I first learned about real estate because realtors partner a lot with country clubs in their local markets. Oh, wow. And so I was like, this is kind of cool and ended up leaving Texas, coming back home to Florida. And I was probably in one of the darkest times of my life. Um, I was in a relationship with a man that I didn't love. He made sure the bills were paid and I made sure he was clothed and fed. And it was, it just was a really, really bad time. And, um, at that time I decided that I didn't want to work for anyone. So I wanted to go into real estate and because I had always been an assistant first, why not? go and become a real estate assistant. Right. (laughs) And so ended up being hired by Nikki Baldini, our friend, Nikki, my biggest mentor and cheerleader in the South Florida region with Keller Williams as one of her director of agent services. And that was in November. I did not know that. This is so awesome. See, this is exactly why you're on the show. (laughs) Yeah. So this was November of 2011. And in, in February of 2012, I went to my first family reunion and I may get emotional because I do when I tell the story. I went to my first family reunion. It was in Orlando. And for anyone that's listening that is maybe not in a leadership position right now, you, you never know if you don't ask. And I went to my team leader and I said, 
it's an hour and a half down the road. If I pay for half of it, will you pay for half? And can I go? And my team leader at the time said, yes. And I walked into that convention center, Melanie, and all I heard was God family business. And all of these people were happy. And it was everything in my life that was missing. And I came home from that family reunion and I cried out to God and I said, I don't want to live, but I don't want to die. And I don't know how to get out of where I'm at. And at that time in my life, I was doing a lot of things, including um, copious amounts of alcohol to not have to feel because I just didn't, I was so unhappy with where I was and would end up spiraling down um, over the next few months. I believe that, you know, as I said earlier, I, I, I don't care who your God is, as long as you don't believe it's you and my God, I believe whispers and then he speaks and then he yells and then he roars. And, um, I say my roar came Memorial day weekend of 2012. I was, um, coming home from someone's house and I made a U-turn in front of a motorcycle in a blackout and, um, ended up waking up on a jail, a jail room floor and got out of jail and called the police station to find out where my car was. Cause I didn't remember anything. And they told me it was being held an investigation of a vehicular homicide. And I remember looking at my mom at that moment and saying, what am I going to do if I killed someone? Yeah. And I made a decision that day that I was going to completely change my life. The gentleman did not die. And I believe that it's only by the grace of God that that happened because he knew I'd be more useful out here than I would be behind bars. And it's a true testament to our culture as a company, because during that time, you know, obviously my leadership had to make a lot of decisions, yet the agents put their arms around me and they said, we know you want a different life. We're going to help you get that life. And so at that time they hired me. I know some of us remember E-Edge. Like I always say, we've been through this tech thing before. We got this. Like we're in it. Like we got it, right? Yeah. And a few agents would hire me and I would strap my laptop to the back of a Schwinn bike cruiser. And I would bike from agent to agent to agent, just doing things in their E-Edge, creating newsletters. And then Fred Collis, I'll never forget it. KW agent called me one day and he said, will you be my transaction coordinator? And I said, Fred, I've never run a transaction. He's like, well, you'll figure it out. You figure everything out. So I called Maureen Casgo and I said, Maureen, this guy wants to pay me a lot of money to, to be his transaction coordinator. What do I do? And we didn't have video back then. So she recorded um, how to run a Florida transaction from contract to close. And I would play that over and over and over. And that's how I built my first business. And Ended okay, up, um, time, time out, time out, time out. Lots, lots a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Like, let, like, whoa. Like I've known you a very long time and I just learned a whole lot about you in, in, yeah. in, in a few minutes. So, so I just want to unpack that a little bit. First of all, I want to say thank you for showing up the way you show up every day and uh, for sharing that. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but all through high school, I was very engaged with students against driving drunk because mm -hmm. a friend of mine was killed. Wow. And so I was a musician and we would tour all the high schools and we would reach kids through music because there was no tr public transportation. I mean, there was nothing to do but go drink on weekends. You know, that is like the American culture. There's no public transportation, especially if you live in small towns. And so it was just, I mean, drunk driving is a big problem in our country. And so the fact that you shared that, I, I, I believe that, and then, and the, you know, absolutely what a miracle that this man survived. What a story to help impact others to make the decision because I believe that people don't realize the position they're in and, and 
and everybody hopefully doesn't get a wake up call like you had. Right. And it, it just, it, what a, what a blessing the way that turned out. So I just want to applaud you for your, your courage to share that. And that's a, um, thank you for sharing that. Well, and I think it's only through our vulnerability. Yeah. That's where the true power exists, right? Like it's not easy to raise your hand. It's easy to say, I overcame this thing that I had absolutely no control over, right? It's very easy to tell those heroic stories. It's very difficult to raise your hand and say, I really screwed up. Yeah. and made a really big mistake. And it's not something I was proud of at the time and nor am I proud of today, yet through 10 years of recovery and being sober for 10 years, the amount of people that I'm able to help. Like, I, you know, I think about, I remember a day, it was a summer and I had to figure out public health care. And I never, cause I had, I, I was also diagnosed with epilepsy about I remember that two months after I got sober yeah. and I was literally on a public bus and I had to go figure out how to do healthcare around Florida. And if you've ever done public health assistance, it's like a treasure map to figure out where to go. And I remember calling my best friend one day it's mid August. I'm on a bike in Florida. I'm burning up and I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. It's not worth it. I might as well just die. Like this is too hard. And she said, Brindley, you're going to get back on that bike because you don't know how many women you're going to help through this experience. Yep. And I can't tell you how many people I've helped get public health care in our community because I know how to do it because I did it. Yep. You know, it's when we start owning our stories and you know this, Melanie, when we start owning our stories and speaking about them and using them to empower others, that's when true ownership of the story starts to happen. And no amen, longer amen. And sister, I just want to say, I already loved you, but I love you already <laughs> even more now. So there you go. So you are, you are a beautiful light in this world. So, okay, let's keep going. So that's amazing. And yes, I believe that that all happens for a reason. And now your wall just makes so much more sense to me. So those that are just listening to the podcast, she has this wall of all these beautiful uh, uh, quotes and inspirational sayings and, um, I, be, I love it. Okay. So, so you, you, a guy takes a chance on you. So an agent in Florida says, I'll hire you. I'll, and you learned everything you had to do. What happened then? So I ended up building a, a transaction management company in about two years. Um, and then walked into a bold room to sponsor bold, which is with Keller Williams. It's a big, you know, event that we have to train agents. And there was something about that day, like, you know, you just, I truly am a big believer in law of attraction and manifestation. And, and I was starting to, to manifest things at that time in my life. And I walked in and I gave this presentation and, and someone tapped on my shoulder and they said, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know. Like, you know, I put together this company because I had to, like, I don't know. I don't, it's not like I like being a TC and, um, and ended up putting together a one, three, five to sell that company to my employees. Um, because I think people are the most important thing in any organization. And I um, got into business with maps and started building their director of operations program. And at the same time, um, they were very, very gracious to allow me to keep running the company that I had. And that's when we started getting into recruiting, training, hiring the admins and training them, because I truly believe that our support professionals are our heroes. And there wasn't a voice out there for them at the time. A I loud one. I, I agree hundred percent. And I think you really stood out as a pioneer for that. And um, just for people that don't know, and even our audience may not know, but MAPS is the coaching division for all of Keller Williams, right? <laughs> and so that's a big deal. I yeah. remember that. 
Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, I was that I'm so grateful for that opportunity and, and then decided, um, was with them for almost two and a half, three years, and then ended up coming back into my business in October of 2019 to focus on my people and build the vision, which the vision was create a place where agents can come for any type of leverage, yet we don't own you. You don't have to pay us part of your GCI. You don't have to pay us part of your profit. It's a la carte. You can plug in wherever you need to plug in because I truly believe in the power of leverage. I, I do believe that leverage is the way to freedom and freedom is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want with whoever you want. Right. Right. I love that. And so that's kind of it's my thing is leverage. I love that. And I love your t-shirt. <laughs> Those of you yeah. that are on the <laughs> podcast, she's wearing her leverage uh, t-shirt from, you know, your lever your realty leverage. So I think about a real estate agent, Brindley, and, you know, we have so many things we have to do all the time, right? And there's so many tasks. And I know that our, our audience here can agree. There's so many things and you don't really know until you get into real estate. It's like, oh, I got to do that. I got to do that. And for most of us, we do not gravitate towards that, right? For most of us, we're naturally, well, there's some, maybe 10, 10 to 20% that aren't, but most of us are very entrepreneurial and big vision and get me in front of people. I know I am, right? And yet, yet all of that other, the tasks and things like that are so important. And yet it's not, it's not our 20% as an agent. If, if you're going to have a big life, you need leverage in it. Right. And that's why Gary talks about that triangle, right? The triangle in the millionaire real estate agent book that says, you know, leads, listings, and leverage, right? Leads, leads to listings, which leads to leverage and people that don't understand leverage means systems and people. Right. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever said to be a millionaire real estate agent that you need to do it all. Nobody ever said that. And in fact, you can. And I heard I heard John Maxwell. I don't know if it's John Maxwell quote or somebody else, but I heard John say, um, if you want to go fast, do it by yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go far, do it with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, and we're, I'm just going to say it out loud. People are hard. People are difficult. People are challenging. Right. And and, and it is difficult to manage. And Melanie is absolutely right. You know, systems is not just, I mean, uh, leverage is not just people. It's systems, models, and tools, and people. People are the last piece of leverage. You have to have your systems, your models, and your tools in place first before you can start throwing money or people at any type of leverage, right? And so I always say to agents, the first thing it starts with is your systems and automating as much of your systems as you can and being a systems individual and not a stuff individual. We do a lot of stuff in our business. And then what happens is we create technical debt. And so then we bring the leverage in and we expect the person to be the unicorn to fix it all. And it doesn't ever move fast enough. And then the management piece and the leadership piece catches up with us because we don't know how to retain the individual then. So I think you have to start with the first piece of leverage, which is your systems. Right. And see, yet so many people resist them, don't they? You know, and, and, and that's one thing I think I really, really have learned in my 15 years of Keller Williams, because I was very, I've always been very entrepreneurial, but man, I learned very quickly, like the more purposeful you got about your systems and your models, the, the more freedom you actually had, because it doesn't feel intuitive, right? It doesn't feel, you know, as an entrepreneur, it doesn't feel natural to like, have systems and models and have to do something a certain way, because you're like, no, I don't want that. It feels restrictive. And yet, if it doesn't get done, you're going to fail, right? It's like that foundation, like the, the houses, where was that in, in, in Asia somewhere? These, remember those condos and they used to show yep. that in gold because the foundation wasn't right. One tipped over, right? The foundation yeah, was not strong enough. It just tipped over like five buildings in a row. 
And that's like a real estate agent. If they don't have their systems in place and an individual agent can do a lot by themselves, but systems, systems, they can't get away from it. But yet, why do you think it is Brinley that, that agents resist that? Cause I, I do, you know, worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of agents in, in my tenure as a team leader running Keller Williams offices and really talented people. And, and it's always interesting to see some embrace it right away. Like, yeah, get that off my plate. I see the value and some resist it for so long. Like nobody can do that. Like I do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do you see that a lot? Yeah, I see. So a couple of things there and that's, you know, we could go into a whole neuro-linguistic programming that's a whole nother episode, right? Yeah. I do believe that it's, it's thinking traits, it's behavior traits, and it's the brain. If you're not wired to be a systems automation process driven, logical thinker, then that's not going to be comfortable for you. It's not going to be your go-to. And that's when stuff starts to become King. So at Keller Williams, we have this amazing event, family reunion, and we're going live again in February, my favorite event of the year. In Orlando, you get a drive to Florida. (laughs) Yes. And what happens is stuff becomes king. And so we walk through that marketplace at family reunion and we look for all the shiny objects that can save all of our problems and and solve all of our problems and that magic little pill that's gonna make everything better overnight. And so then we come in, we already have a system in place. We pile another system on top of it, but we don't go back and fix the original one. So as this starts to pile, it now becomes what we call technical debt. And we've all had it in our businesses. Technical debt is when stuff starts to accumulate, all those shiny objects start to accumulate, and now you feel buried. And you're buried in technical debt. And and until you go back and start peeling back the onion layers or completely destroy the building and start from ground zero, are you going to be able to get back into that process-driven place? And what I find happens is I'm a high D, so I, 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 I can say this, a high D is a very high driver, quick speed, rapid problem solving. High Ds don't want to wait. And I'm a high C. So I want it like perfect yesterday. Right. And, and so what happens is we're like, okay, we're going to bring this human now in to manage our systems. And we expect in the first 90 days that they're going to have our database completely scrubbed up and running fully system, you know, marketing, systematically marketing to it. And everything is going to be gravy. No, right? That's not realistic. And I think that the first thing I coach agents on is you have to slow, you have to know that this is a slow process. And for you, it's going to feel even slower. Melanie, do you remember three-legged races? Yes. Right? From picnics. And remember how awkward they looked? Uh Uh-huh. Right? And you would get your stride and you'd be running and then all of a sudden, like somebody would fall over and the whole thing would go down. That's kind of how operations and sales work together. It's like a three-legged race, right? I love that visual. I love that visual. And I think for those of you that are really young that don't know what that is, (laughs) could there be, well, you're a lot younger than me, but you know, like literally it's where you tie one of your legs to somebody else and you have to walk you know, and you race to the other side. So think of that visual. I love that example, Brindley. I love that. That is so spot on because it's awkward at the beginning, right? Until you get the on. I love that analogy. You know, it takes about a year and Gary's been telling us recently, you got to find that one because here's the other flip side of it is the compensation piece, right? Mm -hmm. The days of paying a really good operations or admin in your business, paying them 10, 12, $15 an hour. Those days are long gone, right? Because they can go to Starbucks and serve coffee for that amount and get better benefits, right? And Gary has said recently, you got to find that one person 
pay them a ton of money to run your world. And that's what, and, and that honestly will, will pay for itself twofold in 12 to 24 months. Yet you've got, you've got to hold them accountable, inspect what you expect, yet give them a year to be able to run the three-legged race to win it, right? Where you're in your groove yeah. and you're going and yeah. you've got to be prepared for that. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, Dee Schultz, right? Who founded. Yes, very well. I love Dee. She's such an amazing uh, human being. And uh, she looks amazing by the way. Every time you see her, she's like my role model, like who I want to look like in my mid seventies. Right. She's amazing. But she, uh, she had said to one agent, she said, listen, you need an assistant. And, and the, 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 the person, the agent she was talking to was so fearful of making that first hire. She was so fearful of making that first hire because she, she saw the year salary, right? That's all she could see was like, uh, how you, right. And, and she's like, listen, it's and like Gary always says, right. It's one month at a time. You're paying like literally one month at a time. And if they're not the right mix, you're going to get out of business with them. Well, what she said to that agent, she said, listen, if, if when you hire that assistant and your business doesn't double, I will pay you back for that assistant's salary for the year. And what did she do? She hired the right assistant, doubled her business. 100%. If you are honoring your, you know, Ben Kenny calls them the three fiduciary duties of the leader, right? Which is to set the goals, give them the training, and then inspect what you expect and hold them accountable. If you're doing those three things. So if you are setting the expectations, and when I say expectations, I don't mean design, create, implement. I mean, create a 36 touch to add X number of Mets to the database, right? Right. It is very clear. We just did a 306090 for a new marketing individual we're bringing on. And we presented the 306090 with the offer letter. And we said, here are your metrics. You have to grow the Instagram following from this to this, right? I think what happens is we go very broad and pretty and, and use fancy words. And what happens is we get to the end of 90 days. And what Melanie considers create and implement and design and what I consider create, implement, and design look very different. And now we're not winning because we we're both headed towards the moon, but now one's at Jupiter and one's at Mars. Right. And we're, right? we're, we're limping along again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's setting clear, defined metrics of what you want that individual to achieve, then giving them the systems, models, tools, and coaching they need to get there and holding them accountable on a weekly basis to make sure they're hitting it. And if you do that, you will triple your business within six to 12 months. Yeah. Easily. Right. Right. Absolutely. So that when, uh, just backing up a little bit, uh, you mentioned you were DC. For those of you that are listening that don't know what that is, that's from the DISC assessment, right? And that you can take, I mean, on Tony Robbins' page, you can take them lots of places. <clears throat> But you want to explain real quick with the DISC, just super fast. Oh, I got a super, I got a super quick one for this. So okay. if a D and I and S and a C were on a road trip together, this is what it would look like. The D would be driving. So they're the driver type A moving, moving it forward. The I would be in the back seat telling jokes, making everybody laugh. They're gregarious. Um, your high eyes really take like things personally, really care about what people think and want accolade and admiration. Attention. Right. The S would also be sitting in the back seat and they would make sure that everybody had blankets and the temperature was just right and everyone had snacks. They're the caregivers, a lot of nurses, a lot of teachers are high S's, the majority of the population. That's Andrew, the yeah. Is a high S. 
And then your C would be in the front seat and the C would have the map, know exactly how many miles it is to the next restroom, how many tanks of gas we need to get us to the next rest stop. They're the analytical, very detail oriented, very high, high logical problem solving. I love that description. I'm so glad I asked you that. I'm going to use that. So, so think about the, the D's, the driver fast, right? So, so, so what she was saying is when she's a driver, she wants things done yesterday, but she's, she wants them done right because the C is the detailed, right? So the D and the C. And so, whereas I am more as I, I lead with my I and my D. So I'm very people connection and, and yet I want it super fast done yesterday. <laughs> yes. yes. And I, I have a high I as well. So I'm a oh, D I C yeah. my I and my C are, are coupled and it's interesting. It makes it very interesting in my head. It, it's so interesting. So just understanding that, and that's such a quick snapshot. Like, you know, once somebody is taking the disc, it's really easy to manipulate. That's why it's, it's a great thing for just a real blink on somebody. So if you want to just write, just like, you know, but then there are other assessments that are much, you know, more thorough and stuff as you're actually hiring, but the disc and understanding that language, like, oh, I think they're in. So question I always ask all my guests is what does playing to win look like to Brinley Tucker? You know, this is interesting. So we have, we celebrate wins and we celebrate failures in our organization. So every Friday, so we do standups every morning. We have 38 people in our organization in 12 states and four countries. So it's very much a, a, team virtual we have to do a lot to build our virtual team and keep everybody okay, re connected. Re repeat that you said you have 38 people you said you said that really fast and that was 38 like people in 12 states and four countries wow so canada united states dubai and the philippines oh i love it yeah and so we every friday we do fail forward fridays and everybody in, in the organization shares what their fail forward was for the week because we believe that celebrating your failures is celebrating your wins because there's a lesson in everything. And then every Monday morning on our Monday morning standups, we talk about what we did really well the week before and what we are going to do this week to improve. So for me, winning looks like growth. Mm. If you are constantly growing to me, then you're constantly winning. You know, if we're constantly in competition with ourselves and becoming the best version of ourselves, there's a 1% rule that I talk a lot about. I've lost 45 pounds in the last year. Um, my physical health was kind of like the last pillar that I talk about. And, you know, it was, somebody looked at me and said, a friend of mine and said, what's your 1% improvement going to be over yesterday? And at that time I was eating like four apples a day. It was like something ridiculous. And the sugar content was like through the roof. And I said, I'm going to eat two apples instead of four. Like it wasn't this huge astronomical, like change overnight yet. What started to happen was with 1% improvements every day, I started looking at food differently. Then when I decided, so I was the person, Melanie, that if you saw me running, you should probably run because I'm either running to something or away from it. I do not like running. I will admit today, I still don't like running. I do it. I don't love it, yet I do it. And I decided that I needed to run, that I needed to do cardio. And so I started with just 1%. I would walk and then I would run to the stop sign. And then the next day I would run to two stop signs. And then the next day I would run three stop signs. And before you knew it, because I took a 1% improvement every day, I was running a 5K within a month. Wow. So winning to me looks like that 1% improvement that you're constantly moving the needle forward to becoming the highest and best version of yourself. We do something in our organization called avatars and aims. 
you know, your avatar is you writing about who you are at your highest and best as if it is already happened, right? I am 125 pounds. I am 2% body fat. I am spiritually connected. I am a great mom and I'm doing date nights with my spouse. Like really what that highest and best version of yourself looks like. And then creating from that, what your aims are for each of the key areas of your life. I don't believe that we take enough time to think about the future and where we want to go. And what happens is we start manifesting against ourselves because we don't take time to manifest where we actually want to be in the future and envision it. I love that answer. <clears throat> and I want to talk more about, about that because I love where you're going with this. But um, I love that your answer is winning is 1% improvement every day. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I love it for many reasons. And one reason, and I've heard, you know, that's not the first time I know somebody told you about it, but, but I love that you live that because so many people waste time and energy mm -hmm. comparing themselves to somebody else. And, and they get, and it's those high D's or whatever they want that they want the instant gratification or whatever. And so they're not willing to make those incremental, you know, actions, take those steps to get where they wanna go. And the other problem is they're not clear on where they wanna go. What is the end result? And living in that and taking those, uh, making those decisions so that you can get into action to move you towards that, but it's incremental. 1% every, I love that, it went from four apples to two apples. It doesn't have to be brain surgery. No, you know, there's something when I work with agents and clients and anyone in our organization, I listen when I ask about goals and commitments. Because to me, a goal is a commitment to yourself. It's not a commitment to anyone else. Right. And, yeah. and, and when you're making a commitment to yourself, that's your word to yourself and your word is all you have as a person. Right. And so when you make a commitment, you have to make sure not only are you committed to what you're saying, but you're committed to doing whatever it's going to take and being real clear on what that's gonna look like to get there. I think so many times when you hit the nail on the head, we set goals or create commitments because we think we need to look like those people on stage or we need to look at that mega agent in our office and be exactly like them. And we don't see like, you know, Ben Kenny, good example of this. Adam Hergenrother, great example of this. Kristen Cole, Cody Gibson, all of the big Sarah Reynolds, the big mega agents in our company, those are 10, 15, 17 year overnight successes, right? Exactly. Like people look at them and think they can be that way in a year. And for some of those individuals, that's no marriages, that's no kids, right? Like, yeah. it, it, and, and they'll, a lot of them will share with you the ones that do have those things. They, they came to a point where they had to say no more because their marriages and their families were suffering. Right. So I really think that it's important to get clear on not only where you want to go, but what it's going to take to get there so that you know what you're fully committing to. So therefore, if it's, if it's five, four homes a month versus 10 homes a month, that's okay. As long as you're fully committed to doing whatever it's going to take to hit four homes a month. And the other thing, comparison is a thief of joy, right? We have to stop comparing. And I am, I just did an hour release work this morning at 7.30 with my transformational coach around this exact topic, around comparing myself to others, not showing up as my authentic self, not being congruent because I'm in fear of being judged or not being enough. We all have it. We all have the baggage. Yeah. And you know, our conscious minds, and I won't go too nerd out here, but our conscious minds are the goal setter. Our unconscious minds are the goal getter. 
right? Unconscious mind being where all of our memories and our fight and flight and all those things are going to take us away or hold us back to protect us. And we have, if there's, if we're not hitting our goal, if, if our behavior is not matching our goal, then we have baggage. There's some type of baggage that we have to release and you have to find out what's holding you back. And that's by getting honest and asking for help. Right. I, I love that. That's so true. And you think about, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I love that. And I'm a real believer of the conscious and unconscious mind need to be connected. You got to realign them also, right? Just like you have to do with your operations team and your sales team. Um, but you mentioned health was at the very last for you. And I think that health is the very last for mm-hmm. most people, sadly. Not, a, okay, not most, but there, I mean, there is a, and Austin's a very healthy place. And I'm originally from, you know, Southern California, very healthy place. And yet, in the real estate world that I live in, I see that health is very much on the last, you know, level there. Um, why do you think that is? Because it, it, it's said, and, and it was for me, I mean, full, full transparency, it was for me. And my health journey started six years ago where I was forced to start taking care of myself, right? And it took me on a whole nother journey. And so now part of my thing is, and I have people tell me all the time, they're like, wow, you're the only leader that really says, what are you doing to take care of yourself? And I said, well, yeah, because, you know, I would listen to Gary Keller and he would say, if you don't take care of your, your body, where are you going to live? And I never understood that. I never understood that. I was like, you know, I'll have a cup of coffee in the morning and I didn't prepare for lunch. So I'd grab a cookie from the title company, go home, open a bottle of wine, right? Mm-hmm. Terrible habits. All of those are so terrible for your body. And at some point, you know, and I ran movie sets before I did real estate and just running, running hard on the body. And yeah. at some point your body says enough already. And 100%. so now it's like the whole story of you make, you, you work to be successful, make a lot of money, and then you make a lot of money. And now you use all the money to get healthy again. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think that people, well, let's talk about it. You know, running, let's talk about running. If anyone is a runner, you know, exactly how running feels right before the run. You're like, I'm going to kill this run. It's amazing. I feel amazing. Let's do it. Let's get it. Right. And then like the first 15 minutes, you're good. Then you start to get your stride and you're like, yes, this is amazing. This is awesome. And then you get to like mile one mile, you know, one and a half, maybe even mile two. And you're like, this sucks. This is horrible. This is the worst thing ever. My knees hurt. My joints hurt. Like, I don't know what to do. I hate running. I'm never running again. And then you get to three or four and you're like, I got this. I'm in my stride. I'm cool. Right. And it's just this yo-yo of, of how it feels because our heads will have us dead. Our egos want to prevent us from being our highest and best selves. So anything that is good for us, it is going to tap in and say, no, don't do that. And so for me personally, I had to get my spirit straight first because I was a very selfish, self-centered individual that only thought about myself. That is why I I had the issues and the challenges that I did. I never thought when I got behind the wheel of a car drinking, how it would affect someone else. I only thought of myself. And so I had to get right in my spirit first before I could get my head right. And when I started getting into my mental shift and getting my head right, I had to train my you're not responsible for your first thought. Your first thought is always going to come. You are responsible for your second thought. And you have to tell your, train your second thought to tell your first thought, we don't think like that anymore. Exactly. And that, was, that was years of shaking my head around the room and going, we don't think like that anymore. We don't think like that anymore. And until my head was right, I couldn't even think about the discipline that it would take around food and exercise 
And now I do spin and bar five to six times a week, 6 a.m. in the morning. And if I don't do it, I miss it. And I'm the girl that said, if you see me running, you should run. <laughs> so right. I do believe that you have to have the first two pillars right first if you want to do it at a high level. It's also really expensive to be sick. Yeah. And it's really expensive to be healthy. You just have to decide when you want to invest. I take 480 supplements a week, right? I haven't been sick in six years. I haven't had as, as much as a cold or a sneeze, right? That, and, and that's, if you study athletes, that's the level that they go to because as Gary has said, and he outlines it on page 308, the five-step energy plan, right? If you don't have your mental, spiritual, physical, <coughs> all of your five sources in line, you're not operating at your full level of capacity and productivity. I'm and therefore like you're not being true to yourself. That's right. And your highest and best. That's right. And, and, and now it's become a habit for you, right? Because now it's just a habit. It's who you are. It's what you do. That's I right. love that. I love that. So it's, a, well, first you made the decision, you got right with it. And then it just became part of who you are. And I think we all say, oh, we don't have time for it or this and that. I'm with you on the, the like, I never thought I would eat the way that I eat now. Like I eat very disciplined. Uh, and, and yet I find a way to make it like, give myself little treats sometimes that it's okay, but it's very different before I ate totally unconsciously. Like totally like whatever is in front of me, I'll eat it and I'll eat it fast because even when I was running movie sets, I'm the guy that's the set manager. So I had like two minutes to eat and I'm like going to eat as fast as I could. I didn't even taste the food, right? Because it's on to the next thing. And when you really think about your body as, as the temple that you're living in, right? And if you don't take care of it, yeah, I thought I took a lot of supplements, but girl, you got me beat. <laughs> well, and here's the thing also, we have to remember that it all starts with our worth. Yeah. It starts with our self-worth, yet it also becomes with what your time is worth. You have to be very crystal clear and laser focused on what your time is worth because we all only have the, the same 24 hours in a day. That's right. The difference is how we choose to use it. And if you're not crystal clear on what's raising your hourly rate and what's lowering it, then you're always going to feel like you're running the rat race because you're buried in quicksand, because you're focusing on all those things that are lowering your hourly rate, which is preventing you from being able to do those workouts or take that time to slow down. And that's where leverage comes in. I will tell you, and I tell this story and people probably, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm focused on not worrying about other people's opinions yet. My, I was raised by a single mom, only child for 41 years. I have been her whole life. And finally, about three years ago, after her following me around the country for years, I said, okay, mom, you love being my mom. So I'm going to pay you to be my mom. So it's on my terms and I don't pick up after myself. I don't take my trash out. I don't separate my supplements. I don't meal prep. I have a mommy at 41 and I'm not ashamed of it. Right. She gets joy out of being my mom and I get leverage. Right. That. And, and I'm not worried about any of that stuff, which allows me to impact more people and do more of the things that, that God has gifted me with. Right. So it, I think loves first, it too. you've created an opportunity it. for her. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So I love that. And so when I coach folks on this, what I, what I say is write down everything that you do in your 24 hours and then put a cost on it. Find out what the market rate is for that item. And if you can go hire someone to do that for less than what you would like your hourly rate to be, then go leverage it put it in order of priority. Who would I want first? Now, 
listen, some people love cleaning their house and mowing their grass. I'm not trying to take away your joy. If, yeah. if you love to do those things and that's your escape, then by all means do it. But the majority of us don't like to clean toilets and mow our grass, yeah. right? Yet we do it because we have this misconception that we think it's free. And when I hear someone say that, all that tells me is that they think they're free. They haven't determined their worth. And that ties into everything that we're talking about, spiritual, mental, physical. If we don't know our self-worth, right? Because self-confidence comes from the outside. Self-worth comes from the inside. Ooh, that's good. Right? So if we don't know our self-worth, then we're never going to feel like we're winning. And you asked, you know, you asked the question, Melanie, like, how do you move towards winning? How do you know you're winning? You know, you're winning when you're congruent with you, when you're living your best life. Yeah. And I'm sure Winnie's going to talk about that next week too, because she's amazing and she's amazing allowing women live their best lives. Right. And that's, that's truly, we want to live. Like Gary said, you got one body. Where are you going to live if you don't have it? That's right. Exactly. And, um, I think about the authenticity piece too, that is really, uh, really key to that, that you mentioned, right? You being your authentic self and not being the, like here in, in, um, in, in Austin, it's like, we have Tim Heil here. We have Gina, we have some really big, we have Wendy, we have a lot of big superstars here. And, and yet it's like, don't compare yourself to them, like be your authentic self. And Brinley, I can remember when I became a new team leader in Reno, <clears throat> I'd only sold real estate for a year, but I'd always led people in, in film and stuff. Like I'd always been a leader of people. I, even in high school, I was doing that. Right. Yeah. And, and I, but, and yet, and yet when I took the team leader role, I thought I had to become something else. I, I thought I had to be the square fitting into that triangle. I'd be this business person. And, and, you know, I kind of took the joy out of my, what I, what I was so good at, which is people and having fun and, and helping people. Like I believe my purpose and why I've stayed in the doing what I do so long is I believe I, my role is to bring out the best in somebody. Like I see them for, for their greatness and usually they don't disappoint me. Right. So, but it took me about a year to figure that out, that I didn't have to be somebody else. It was in fact, the Melanie that I was, that would make me so great and so extraordinary. And then my whole world changed. And one thing after I started attracting just the very best in the city and I ended up moving to Austin and, you know, you know, all that good stuff. So be your, but I, it's because I'm who I am and I share my story and you're who, who you are and, and you sharing your story along the way makes you more powerful and you're going to inspire people to do the same because we're all different. We all have that within us, but we have to be able to know what is our story and where do we want to go and what is our impact? What matters to us? Absolutely. Absolutely. So go, it, it's so ironic that you brought up authentic because I've been doing a lot of journaling around this and a lot of release work and I'm a master practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming. So I've got, I've been a student of that for quite a number of years. That's helped peel back a lot of the baggage that I had, um, that caused me to go into the addiction that I did. Yeah. And I always had this idea that authentic meant real or fake. If you're not being authentic, then you're being fake. Right. And as I started diving into this, when I see something in others, everyone is my mirror. So if I'm seeing something in someone, I have to ask myself, where is this in me? So if I'm looking at someone and they're really angry, I have to say to myself, well, if I'm seeing anger, where am I, where do I have anger? Where do I need to go release that anger? 
if if I'm seeing someone as, as perceiving someone as not being authentic or being fake, where am I not being authentic or fake? And what I've done is I've, I've, I've done a lot of work on the true meaning of authenticity, which is to be congruent with you. It's not real or fake. Just like humility is not more than or less than, it's just being, right? Sometimes we think with humility or if you're not humble, if you're, you know, people always said I wasn't humble because I was outgoing. And so I lived with that limiting belief for a really long time that because I'm vocal and I have a voice that I'm not humble. Well, that's not what humility is. Humility is, is not being more than or less than, it's being, right? And then authenticity is not, being authentic is not being real or fake, it's being authentic to who you are, to your true self. And when you're authentic to your true self, others see that. And when you're not, they also see that. Yeah. And that's been the big aha for me here in the last month and a half. James Shaw, who's a dear friend of ours, actually has helped me with that. He gave me some feedback when I, we got to ask for the feedback, right? Yeah. I asked him for some feedback and he, he's the one that kind of started me on this journey of authenticity and going, okay, what does that mean? And that's what I discovered. I wasn't congruent with me. Mm. The more I remind myself that we all are so gifted in different things, right? And you don't try to be something you're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where I think you, Brinley, and your company and other companies like them, and, and we even created something in Austin called Leverage Lab, uh, same yeah. thing, kind of yeah. thing. How do we help our agents stay in what they're really good at? You know, how do we help them be, be great at who they are? Don't try to be something you're not. Um, don't compare yourself to the other people and, and put yourself down for it, right? Your, your, your gift zone might be something totally different, but don't, so, so that's why I surround yourself with great people. And that's what I love about Keller Williams and, and because we have really talented people like yourself that go and start this company within a company, right? Uh, to help leverage the other uh, people that need that help. 100%, 100%. You know, I think of anything new and any type of creation needs space. We mm -hmm. all came from nothingness, yeah. all of us. And we're all filled with the same love, each and every one of us. We've just had different experiences and individuals that have programmed us and have created us to be who we are. Yet, mm -hmm. if we can go back, you know, I was recently, it, you know, when you're on a personal growth journey, it kind of sometimes can be exhausting because like somebody <laughs> will say something and then you're like, okay, I got to look at that. And someone, <laughs> someone said that I could, I could use more empathy. And so I started studying empathy and I looked at my mom and I said, mom, you know, people will talk about death and I don't have this strong, emotional, empathetic. And she looked at me and she said, Bryn, do you remember how many people you lost by the age of 12? Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Like I've become numb to it. So I started studying, how can I be empathetic in situations where I may have created protection? And the, the best, the best thing that has worked for me is that if Angie and I are talking and Angie's talking about a situation, if I think about something similar that I went through myself and I go back to that place and tap into that feeling, I will be able to connect with Angie on that level. So for instance, Angie may have her, her cat die. Well, I never had cats yet. I had a dog die. So she could be talking about the death of her cat and I can go tap back into when Maggie died. And now all of a sudden I'm connected to Angie. Now I'm able to be in an empathetic space for her and hold that empathetic space for her. And I just thought that was such a, that's a little nerd out again, yet it, yeah, I I love that. Think it, it's, it, we have to remember that we all came from nothing. 
all of us. And we're all filled with the same amount of love. Some of us, it's just been stuffed. Yeah. And, and you know, what I love about that is that you took that as a, you listened to that, right? You took that as a, you know, you, you heard that and you said, okay, where's the truth in that? Is there truth to that? You didn't just ignore it when somebody said, you know, you could have more empathy or whatever, right? You listened to that and then thought about it, process it because you know what? Sometimes it's true. There's always a little bit of truth. I always say every joke, somebody says, whatever, there's always a little bit of truth there that, that they're thinking at least. Right. So yeah. listen to that and say, okay, what is my DNA on that? Is that so don't be defensive about it. Right. Because for them, that's how they see you. And, yeah. and a lot of times how people see you is more about them than you. 100%. We talked about, right? And so I know that, and, and that's what helped me get over this whole, like being liked and loved. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Some people can't handle me. They can't. And Brindley, you and I know we're both there. We put ourselves out there and I'm like, but listen, if I offend you or whatever, I'm the first person to say, I am so sorry. Forgive I did me. not, please tell me, come to me if I offend you. Cause I, I move fast. I move with speed. And if you're on my team and you work for me and I'm asking something, I'm going to ask it again. And if it's not done, I'm going to start being like, okay, do I just need to do it? And I don't mean it, but I just want it to get done. So how, so, so things like that, I've had to learn through the years of like, okay, how, how somebody responds is their responsibility, but how I respond to their response is my responsibility. And what they think about me has, is none of my business. And that was so freeing, right? Because it's like, you don't, if you believe that you show up in the world every day and give your best, yeah. it doesn't really matter what everybody else thinks about it because in time, time reveals all truths. I always say time will reveal who you are if you allow it to. And if it's so, some people can't see you for who you are. They're not ready to see you for who you are, but when they see you, that's a beautiful moment, right? And, and, and sometimes when they finally can see you, they can actually see themselves too. Hundred percent, and I will say, you know, people, places, and things do not trigger me. I am triggered, and when a people, a person, a place, or a thing, or a situation, if I get triggered by that, I have to go internally and ask myself, why am I triggered? Because Angie could say something to me today, and it could, and I could be triggered. Melanie could say the same thing next week, and I don't feel a thing. Right. Same thing. Or Angie could even say the same thing to me a week from now. And I don't feel a thing if I've taken care of finding out what the root is that's causing me to be triggered. It all has to be focused on us. It's being, it's being selfishly selfless is what I call it. Right. Because it all starts and ends with us. We project our things on our partners, on our team members, on our leaders, right? We project our own things. And then people project, like you said, Melanie, their things on us. And we have to be able to delete, distort, or generalize, right? What is coming at us and what we're putting out, the vibrations that we're putting out into the world. Yeah. Exactly. Now you talked about NLP real quick. That is, that is something for those of you listening or, or with us today that they, people can actually take, go down that route if they want to. Right. And you're a yes. master trainer of that, that how do they find out more about that? Yeah. So neurolinguistic programming, I study under Dr. Matt James, and you can go to his website, nlp.com, nlp.com. If you email me at brinley at kw.com, brinley at kw.com, B-R-I-N-D-L-E-Y at kw.com, I can give you a referral code that could get you some discounts on their trainings. They have their basic practitioner's course, which is four days. It's very, very affordable. It's only $2.99. And oh, the wow. content is a lot more. 
and we just took our whole leadership team to Minneapolis because we're starting to infiltrate it into our organization. Um, and it's massive, huge value for four days and they do them all over the country. So you can go to nlp.com for more information. Okay. That's great. I wanted to make sure. And then I also wanted to make sure how people could reach you. So I'm glad you spelled your name because I bet you get a lot of like me, your people spell your names wrong, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, I I feel bad. We're out of time, but real quick, did anybody in our audience have a question? Cause I always like to open up for questions. I wanted to know uh, how to find her by now. Can you send me the email? <laughs> yes. And you can also follow me on Brinley Tucker. There's only one of me. Thank, and my mother would say, thank goodness on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, and then Brinley, B-R-I-N-D-L-E-Y at kw.com at kw.com. How do you, what are your last parting thoughts for our listeners on, on the second half too, about like, it's not starting strong. It's, it's how you, you know, who you become or whatever, any thoughts around that idea? Yeah, so this is really interesting. And, and, and Gary and Jay talk about it in the one thing, if you are, right now is a great time of year to go back and visit that book that Gary and Jay wrote. And they talk about, you know, what happens when you set a goal and you hit the finish line, you stop, right? So what typically happens, and, and I always use weight and health and fitness as this kind of journey is how many times do we get like five pounds away from where we wanted to be? And we start resting on our laurels a little bit. We start snacking a little bit more. We think we're on the coast. And, and then all of a sudden we wake up and we're 10 pounds behind again. And I think it's important when you get to 80% of your commitment or your goal. So when you've accomplished 80% of your commitment or goal, that you're going ahead and setting the next goal, right? So you're knowing ahead of time what your next ceiling is going to be on your journey. And then I also, Dick Dillingham, who is, you know, Dick, Melanie, I mean, just gosh, an amazing, amazing man in our industry. He taught us that feedback is the breakfast of champions. And so you have to be asking yourself for feedback, others for feedback. You have to have a committee in your life that is not afraid to tell you the truth. That's not afraid to say, hey, this is what's showing up, or this is what I'm seeing. Like James Shaw was to me right? I think it's so important to have those people in your life that it's not easy to deliver direct feedback. I'm a coach. It's not easy. Like it is not easy to tell people the truth. And like you said, Melanie, if we see them as the 10 that they are, then we have to be willing to provide the feedback. So we have to have people in our life that are like that, that are not afraid to give us the feedback and then setting new goals when you hit 80% of your goal. So you never stop. You never hit that finish line. I have consulted with agents for, (laughs) you know, so many years and so many, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours on their business. And I'd never heard it said so well, as Brinley said about um, when operations and sales come together, it's like a three-legged race, right? And you have to get your groove on. And yet that role is so key to bigger things happening. So I love that you talked about NLP. And like I said, or like she mentioned in the podcast, Um, that's a great course you can take with people on your team or that you work with, not real estate related at all. It's all about neurology and how you think and kind of words you choose. And it's pretty powerful stuff. So I really, really hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I sure enjoyed the time and we'll see you on the next episode of the second half.